no matter what you might feel or think about the current political climate and all of that stuff, realize you have been blessed to live in the greatest country in the world. The last country in which Christian persecution does not fully exist yet. Even in other, quote, free nations, such as Canada and the UK and such, Christians face far more persecution than we do today. They're not being put to death in those types of countries, but they face more than you do in America today. There will come a day when Christians will face incredible persecution and suffering, even in this country. I know that because the Bible says that it happens. It doesn't name the United States, but it's the whole world. But realize how incredibly blessed you and I are to live in this country today. Because it is an incredible blessing. But also realize that whether Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, Conservative, Anarchist, I don't care. Because it doesn't matter. That blessing will eventually come to an end. Because the Bible promises it will. Let's talk a little bit about suffering this morning. Flip with me, if you will, to 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to read verses 12 through 19. It'll be up there on the screens. Uh, and I read out of the New American Standard Bible, so that's what's up there on the screens. Um, because I see a lot of, I settled on this because I see a lot of Christians that seem to be shocked at the fact that they suffer. And I've always been confused about that because this is one of many places in Scripture that promise Christian suffering. Let's read it, shall we? First, First Corinthians, that's the last one. First Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. It reads, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will, the outcome, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. If you grabbed a bulletin there, number one on your note sheets, number one on your note sheets, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. He starts out by saying, beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. Throughout everything, you know, I'm a youngin. So I'm on social media. I've got a Facebook. I've got a Twitter. I've got an Instagram. I don't have a TikTok. But it just confuses me. There are times when I see something on one of those types of platforms, and I turn to my wife, and I say, Maddie, what does this mean? And she'll go, I don't know. Let me ask my sister. 
If you ever want to realize that you've gotten old, it's when you don't understand what's happening with people even your age anymore. But I see a lot of stuff on Facebook or on Twitter and stuff like that, and they're all like, why is this happening? This is, this is hard, and oh, this. And I'm like, well, yeah, it is. One of my dad's popular uh, sayings, he said it to me many, 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 many times. Life sucks, then you die. Life sucks and then you die. He has another one that's not quite as appropriate for church, so we won't use that one. But the fact of the matter is, life sucks and then you die. That is what life is. From the moment that Adam and Eve decided thousands of years ago to sin, life has sucked from that moment on. Don't misunderstand me. There are incredible blessings in life still. First and chief among them is the fact that we get to go to heaven if we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. I have incredible other blessings. I have an incredible family. I have an incredible wife. I have three cats, which some of you might go, that's not a blessing, but I think it is. I have relatively good health. Yeah, I'm a diabetic, but I know a lot of people way, off, way worse off than I am. I have an incredible church family. I have an incredible job. I adore my job. I really have a great life. Life still sucks because life is hard. Because you get up in the morning and you're still tired and you felt like you didn't even slept. Because you go to a job that even if you love it, it's still work. Because you do all these things and you know what? Then you have horrible things happen in your life as well. And the fact of the matter is that throughout your life, you will have more bad or hard things happen to you than you will good because you live in a fallen world. Because you live in a world that is riddled with sin and evil and darkness. So don't be surprised when bad things happen. It's not strange. When this morning... Pastor's appreciation dinner. I, I'm looking forward to it. But there are two people in this church that know how to turn that stove on downstairs. One of them is currently at Barnes Casson Hospital working in the ER. The other one is standing in front of you. It's easy enough to do. Most of the time it's not a big deal. It, there you go. It took me 20 minutes to get both of them working this morning and now one of them doesn't want to work. A stupid, fiery ordeal. Maybe not fiery. Maybe it's like, it's a little, it's a match. It's just a little match. There's small things like that. And there's a lot of those small things that add up to big things. And there's also big things that happen. And that is just because you live. That has nothing to do with you being a Christian. Because the fact that you're a Christian makes matters worse. Because then not only do you have a fallen, sinful, evil world against you, you also have the one who rules this world against you. And if you're like, doesn't God rule the world? In scripture it says that Satan is the current ruler of this world. God is in control, but Satan's the current ruler of this world. And he stands against you. So don't be surprised when everything seems to go wrong. 
when fiery ordeals just come at you day after day, moment after moment, and you're begging for release. And here's the great thing, because there is a release. It's not relief, it's release. Verse 13, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. Keep on rejoicing. I've had this conversation with many people in my life. Does the Bible anywhere in the 66 books of our canon of Scripture command you to be happy? Nope. Does it command you to be joyful and rejoice? Everywhere. Throughout, I, I won't say this with 100% confidence, but I would bet some of the money I have seen in my lifetime that every single one of the 66 books tells you to be joyful, to rejoice somewhere in it. I can't prove it right now. I could if I read through the whole thing right now. I'm not going to do that. But the fact of the matter is the Bible is clear. Rejoice because bad things are going to happen. So you have two responses. You can fold under the weight of it all. You can give up and give in, or you can rejoice with God through them. Rejoice with God through them. They're going to happen, so what are you going to do? We could end the sermon right there if we wanted to. Don't worry, we're not. Number two on your note sheets, reviled for the right reason. Reviled for the right reason. And that's R-I-G-H-T, not W-R-I-T-E. I went to English class. You will be reviled because you're a Christian. But why are you reviled in that? You've heard me say it before from the pulpit, maybe in personal conversations with you. You better not offend people with your words, your thoughts. Nowhere in here will you see you should do that. Offend them with the gospel because the gospel is offensive. Let me put the gospel in a couple quick sentences. You're a dirty, rotten, evil person. You are in desperate need of a savior and saving that you cannot provide for yourself. God did it for you. You have to give up control and let him have it. There's a couple big problems with that when it comes to humanity. We like to convince ourselves we're good people. If you told somebody you're a horrible person, they, I am not. Yes, you are. Sorry. You need a savior. No, I don't. I do okay. Okay is not good enough. And you need to give up control. None of us like to give up control. So the, the, the gospel in and of itself is offensive. You are going to offend people with it. Go ahead. God gives you full permission to offend people with the gospel. He does not give you full permission to offend people with your political views, with your sports views, with your favorite movies, with your food, even with the things in Scripture that, dare I say, don't matter compared to the gospel. He does not give you permission to offend people with those. And more often than not, if you truly are honest with yourself about why you offend somebody, it has nothing to do with the gospel. And it has everything to do with you needing to get your point across. How do I know? Because I've offended way too many people trying to get my point across and not God's. 
So the fact of the matter is, you and I are going to be reviled. It says it. But why? Because if you're reviled for the name of Christ, great. If people hate you, I didn't understand this in high school, and I'm still trying to understand it. If people hate you, because every time you talk to them, Jesus comes up somehow, good. If people don't want to talk to you, because every time they talk to you, Joe Biden comes up, Donald Trump comes up, uh, your favorite, the Philadelphia Eagles, right, comes up. If people don't want to talk to you because of that, there was a day I was a sophomore in college, and I was sitting with a bunch of people at lunch, and I said, it was fall, it was October, and I said, man, I just love fall. And one of the people sitting with me turned and said, why, because it's football? And I realized in that moment, I cared way too much about football. Quite frankly, no, I love fall because I love the weather, I love the trees, I love the the crispness of the air. I love fall. But I realized in that moment, I talked way too much about sports. If people get annoyed with you because you talk about Jesus all the time, good. Keep talking about Jesus. People get annoyed with you because you say, man, I saw this and look at what God did here. And they're like, all you do is talk about God. Good. Keep talking. People get annoyed with you because all you talk about is your favorite music or your food or your sports or political, whatever, politics, economics, whatever. Stop talking until you can start talking about God. Be reviled for the right reasons. In verse 15, he says, Make sure that none of you suffer as murderers or a thief or evildoers or troublesome meddlers. Because here's the thing. Sports and food and politics, economics, right, whatever, none of that's bad stuff necessarily. But you can suffer as that instead of a Christian. You can also suffer as a sinner. All of those things are things you could be. I hope none of you in here are a murderer. I'm not. I won't speak for any of you, but I'm not. What are the next ones? Oh, I've been a thief before. Any of you ever taken a dollar out of your parents' wallet when you really wanted a soda? Luckily, neither of my parents are in here. Sadly, my mom listens to the sermons later on. But even if you're like, well, I've never actually stolen anything, I don't believe you, but fine. You've been an evildoer. And if I may be so bold, every single one of you in here is a troublesome meddler. We all are. It's called being human. And unless we fight against it, we're just going to be. So Peter wants to make it clear. Don't just suffer as a Christian. Ensure that you don't suffer as a sinner. Because they're going to as well. Choose wisely why you are going to suffer. So we've talked about not being surprised that you're going to suffer. We've talked about why the right reason for being for suffering number 3 judgment number 3 judgment cuz he ends this passage this paragraph here talking about the judgment that is happening and is to come verse 17 for if it is time for judgment to begin with the household of god and if it begins with us first let's stop there Church, you are being judged. 
by God, and quite frankly, you are also being judged by me. That's right. I judge each and every one of you. Every time I have a conversation with you, every time I see a text, every time I see a post on Facebook, every time I judge you. I'm judging you because I want to be able to speak the words God wants me to speak to you. I'm not like, oh, look at what they're wearing today. Can't believe it. I will say, every once in a while, my grandma wears like a nice sequined hat and sparkly stuff, and I take a look at that, and I'm like, that's a good judgment call right there. I like it. I like that. But as Christians, we are supposed to judge each other, not in the, well, they're doing wrong, but in the, how can I spur them on to further be a Christ-like Christian? But more importantly, and far more scary, God is judging you, your actions, every thought that you have. You still go to heaven if you've accepted Christ. You are not being judged for whether you go to heaven or not. And I've preached a whole sermon about the Bema seat before, and I gave you the passage of scripture there that talks about it. But the fact of the matter is that we are being judged right now. And if we are being judged as Christians, Peter says, how much more are unbelievers being judged? He clearly says, those who do not believe in Christ, those who have not accepted Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, will have it worse than you and I do. You see, one of the big things that I hear people that talk about why God is not in control is that evil is allowed to not only endure, but flourish in the world. Correct. It is being allowed to do that. And Christians suffer. Correct. There are Christians who will die today because they refuse to renounce the name of Christ. Praise God, they're home. I'm not saying I want anyone dead, but they don't suffer anymore. They're home. But the fact of the matter is that in the end, our suffering ends. And unbelievers' suffering in this world is just beginning. The lake of fire is a real place that is horrible. You wouldn't wish it on your worst enemy. The worst person in history, it's still worse off for them. And they deserve it. So do you. You see, we like to think of ourselves as not as bad as somebody like Hitler or Stalin or pick your favorite emperor of Rome that was horrible, Nero, right, who killed thousands of Christians and Jews, all kinds of stuff. We like to think that we're not nearly as bad as them, but the fact of the matter is we are, and we are all destined for eternal suffering that doesn't compare, that our suffering today doesn't compare to it. But thank God, he made a way out. Because you see, he could have left it there, Peter, I mean, could have left it there in this letter and just said, there's judgment, see you later. Therefore, because of suffering, I'm in verse 19, because of the suffering, because of the judgment, those also who suffer according to will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator. 
you have an everlasting soul. Talked about it before, but I'll remind you. The difference between everlasting and eternal is that everlasting has a defined beginning and no end. Eternal has no defined beginning and no defined end. It is unending. You and I had a defined beginning. We have not existed forever. But we will exist from here on. Our souls will. And Peter says you have a choice. You're going to suffer and there's going to be judgment. So choose wisely for what reason you're going to suffer and what judgment you're going to face. I wish, church, that I could stand up here this morning and tell you guys that tomorrow this suffering's going to end. And tomorrow, like you see it all over the place on Facebook, you're going to get a windfall of money tomorrow. I pray that you do, and I pray you tithe off of it. That was a joke. Wow. Okay. Sorry. My bad. Maybe it was the wrong timing. I don't know. I pray that God blesses you incredibly. But the fact of the matter is, the odds are, you are not going to get a windfall of money tomorrow. You are not going to wake up tomorrow and be in perfect health. You are not going to wake up tomorrow and all of the hard things in your life, the hard decisions, the hard choices, they're going to be made and the way forward's going to be there and you're going to go, wow, this is great. The odds are that you're going to wake up tomorrow and your knees are going to hurt and if you're a diabetic, you're still going to have to take your insulin and if you're poor, you're still going to be poor. But I can also tell you that if you choose Christ then I can 100% guarantee you the suffering ends at some point and transitions into unparalleled, unknown blessings. Money won't matter. Your knees won't hurt anymore. You won't be a diabetic. I was talking on the phone to somebody the other day and I said, I hope when I get to heaven, I lose 50 pounds and gain 5 inches. That'd be really great. 6'1", 180 to 200 pounds, nice and buff, you know, my perfected body. Nope, when I get to heaven, I'll probably still be five foot five and three quarters, or as my license says, five six, because when they asked me, I said five five and three quarters, and the woman at the DMV went, uh-huh, five six, and I went, nice. But the fact of the matter is, you are going to suffer. Suffer for the right reasons. And realize that that suffering comes to an end at some point. But you have one more job and we're going to be done here in just a moment. Luckily we have lunch to eat today. So I could just keep going until everybody's really hungry. I'll go over into the office and grab my... Oh wait, I have another sermon right here. I do, but it's the sermon I've teached and preached in chapel. Um, you have one other job. Not just to choose why you're going to suffer, but to ensure as best as you can that that suffering ends for other people as well by showing them Christ. By showing them that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. By showing them that they need a Savior. By preaching Christ to them. This does not give you permission to point out everything wrong in somebody. It does not give you permission to smack people around and just be like, oh, you're going to hell. They are. 
But I've learned that far more often people respond to, you're going to hell and I can't stand to see you go. So if I offend you, so be it. But I have to show you Christ. They respond to that far better than they respond to, you're going to hell. They don't like that. You know your suffering is going to end at some point. And you'll be surrounded by blessings. The pain in your bodies, in your minds, the evil in this world, all of it will pass away. And you know what? It won't matter who the president of the United States was. It won't matter what's happening in Afghanistan. It won't matter anymore. It matters right now. But one day it won't. And the Bible says look forward to that day while living in today. If I may leave you with one tip. Because as somebody, if I may be, Jason was really open and honest with you guys last week, so I'll take a page out of his book. Not that I'm not open and honest with you guys, but I'll take a page out of his book. This past week has been horrid. My depression has been just through the roof all week long. I saw more homeless people this week than I had seen in months. I saw more pain and suffering around me, and it broke me. And there is one thing that got me through my week. It is knowing that this is not the end, and I'm going to be there someday. Not today. Well, I can't promise not today. I don't know when God's going to call me home. I can promise you that as long as he's still got me here, I'll look forward to that day and preach the gospel. That is what you need to do as well. You see, one of the reasons that we struggle so much, quite frankly, with anxiety, with depression, with all of those sorts of things, is because we are so focused on the world around us, on the pain around us, and there is unimaginable pain and suffering around us at all times. So keep your eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of your faith and the promise he has made that you will be called home someday. And all this present day suffering, it won't compare to the glories that are there. You're going to suffer. Don't suffer in vain. And look forward to the end. Run the race. Would you pray with me? Father, I want to thank you that you warned us about suffering in Scripture. You didn't just be like, oh, they're going to suffer, but I'm not going to tell them. No, you let us know. But not only that, you let us know that there is an end and you let us know why we are going to suffer and help us to realize for what we should suffer. Father, I want to ask that you would strengthen each and every person in this room. That in their moments of suffering, that you would strengthen them, give them peace, and give them comfort. That you would lift them up with your mighty, strong right hand. And for those moments when we're not suffering quite so much, when we're surrounded by our blessings and we realize them, that we would then be a blessing to those around us who are in the midst of the suffering. I praise you, Father, and it's in the name of your Son we pray. And I also want to pray your blessing over our lunch this afternoon, Father. It's in the name of your Son we pray. Amen and amen.